0: This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Achoo! Hi, podcasters. This is Brian Phillipson, one of the writers and creators of Future Proof. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. And if you're not listening, we're going to time travel back into the past and trick you into it, which is why you're tuning in right now. Enjoy.
1: Sort of, sort of, break, it, sort of, break it down, down like this. Down, this.
0: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 179 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 24th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not realizing that we made this new intro where we talk about broadcasting from the Ziggurat under Omaha, no one knows what that is because Joe Patrick... Has yet to draw the first episode of the Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd, where you discover our secret origin. (laughs) No one is still going to know. My, fl- my fr- <laughs> A friend of mine that I worked with was like, I listen to your show. What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, what's a ziggurat? <laughs> Google it. We have the internet. But I'm not doing all that. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for worthpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick.
1: That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not refusing to draw the first installment of The Untold Tales of the Twitted Nerd because seeing Matt in pain gives me a secret thrill. Or I'm you're lazy. One of the two. It's not that. <laughs> Listen, I am busy. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. You also won't- I have won't to co-host this f***ing train
0: wreck. You also won't let me put out a call for another artist. You That's won't That's because let it it's happen. mine. It's mine. <laughs> in this week's episode, you're going to hear our mostly honest reviews of Aliens, Fire and Stone, and Roche Limit. Number one. It's Roche, right? Not Roach. I think it's Roche. After that. Like Rochambeau? We'll- <laughs> Okay, We'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than Super Pro himself can write the sinking ship that is the NFL during the ludicrous speed round. And then we're going to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're consoling some of our pirate buddies after a very difficult talk like a pirate day last week.
1: And you may notice this is all slightly out of phase with reality. (laughs) I I don't
0: know what you're talking about. And we'll also be talking about next week's comics. And finally going to review a whole damn graphic novel when we play take a look it's in a book and review the shadow hero but before we get this show on the road let's take a peek behind our couch to make sure there aren't any virtually priceless original tintin pages back there there was just some weird old porn behind mine British, too. I don't even know. Probably valuable still. There was an issue of Leg Show. Leg Show. (laughs) Mm. And then we can talk about this week's Big News. We got Big
1: News. Alan Moore is arguably the most celebrated comics writer of all time, having produced dozens of legendary comic series and graphic novels over the years Swamp Thing, Watchmen, Miracle Man, The Killing Joke, Top 10, and now Crossed. Avatar Press has announced that Moore will be writing a Crossed spin-off series launching in December called Crossed Plus 100, which will be set 100 years after the original outbreak. Farrell's artist Gabriel Andrade will draw the series. Crossed Plus 100 will fill in the quote-unquote missing history of the Cross universe. I always feel the need to do air quotes when I actually say the words, quote, unquote. Not a video podcast. That's I know. But we do a lot of stuff that doesn't translate well to audio. The long, fine. <laughs> that's true. The long-term effects of the virus on the infected and the ultimate fate of humanity. Reacting to the news, Cross creator Garth Ennis said, quote, So it turns out Jimi Hendrix wants to play in my band. He wants to sing my songs. I don't usually worry about vindication, but Alan is probably the one person whose opinion would be enough to change my mind about what I do. He's the most talented individual the medium's ever seen or ever will. That he's writing Crossed means everything to me, end quote. Moore, who's even helped design the covers for the series, says that he's approaching Crossed Plus 100 as more of a science fiction story infused with horror elements. Quote, what kind of human future would there be at all? Would humans be all gone? That'd be a boring book. It would be. (laughs) I treated Crossed as a what-if story, which is the premise of most science fiction, end quote. Matt, Crossed is never going away after this. It's
0: not going away. Never. <laughs> no, it's not going to go away. God damn it. I know that you hate this series. I hate it so And you are not much. into this sort of torture porn comic that Avatar is so good at producing. <laughs> we'll say. But you have to admit, this is gigantic news. And for a guy like Garth Ennis, who... Yeah probably would not be Garth Ennis without Alan Moore. You agree with that statement? Garth Ennis would probably not be doing what he does without a creator like Alan Moore influencing him. This is the biggest thing in the world to a guy like that. This is huge. Not to mention the fact that Alan Moore does not work on other people's properties. He does not play in other people's sandbox. Not anymore. doesn't seem like it. No, and it's been a long damn time. Yeah. I can't remember exactly... What was the last thing?
1: I mean, probably the 80s, right? I'm going to throw this out there. the 90s.
0: Somebody lay it on us. What was the last other property that Alan Moore worked on that was not his own? Lay it on us, nerds. We want to hear it. We'll play it on the Answer of the Week. And we don't mean like... Nine, say, yeah, not like lifting like the Lost Girls or, or the League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen. the
1: Lovecraft stuff he did for yeah. Avatar. Not that. I like, mean like... Alan Moore says, I want to write Batman. Right. Or I want to write Green Lantern. Yeah. When was else? the last time Alan Moore played in somebody else's sandbox? Tell us. But this is huge, and
0: I think it's going to be interesting. I agree that it's huge. I don't love... Cross is not a book that I read monthly, but I will admit, every time I read it for this show, I say, this is a very well-done comic book. Not it's me. It's disgusting. Not it's me. It's extremely violent. Yeah. But it's well-written, and it's well-drawn. Now, with that said, I'm not crazy about Andrade. I didn't love it on the Ferels. I'm not an artist, okay? And it's shameful that I would tell any artist that your work is not good. But I will say, I don't understand why Avatar... Can't get someone better to do this stuff. It's Alan fucking Moore. Okay. Uh, you know? I,
1: mean, I don't necessarily think that the guys that draw Avatar comics are bad. No. Uh, they obviously have talent.
0: They have a very
1: distinct house style. There is a sameness yeah. to every single book Avatar puts out, and it kind of drives me crazy. It does. Uh, the only person I know that was able to actually... Leave Avatar and do other things as that Juan Jose Reap
0: guy, yeah. and he's really good. He's really good.
1: I'm not. I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of the style. Um, not uh, content aside, I'm just not a fan of that. Everything looks very thick and wet. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I agree. I agree that this is big. I am very happy for Gardenas. I hate it. I don't I don't want to read it and I know that I'm going to have to. I'm going
0: to make you do it.
1: And I'm <laughs> dreading it. It's a good thing that Alan Moore still wants to make comics. I'll yes. I'll say yes. that.
0: Yes. That with that said, I have not enjoyed anything that he's done for quite a while. So maybe we're wrong. Yeah, we'll see. Deadline has reported and both parties have confirmed that Marvel Comics and the estate of Jack Kirby have finally resolved their long-running legal dispute. And this is really what you guys come here for, our hard-hitting legal coverage. Yeah, get ready for us to not know anything. (laughs) The Kirby's case centered on the idea that Jack Kirby was not an actual employee of Marvel Comics. At the time, he developed many of Marvel's iconic characters. Rather, he was an independent contractor, meaning that often cited work-for-hire clause should not have applied. Though lower courts repeatedly ruled in Marvel's favor, the Kirby family was scheduled to appear before the Supreme Court. On September 29th, in a joint statement... If you're
1: listening to this on the day this episode comes out, that's tomorrow.
0: (laughs) I should mention, there's a war going on. (laughs) (laughs) Just throwing that out there, Kirby family. In a joint statement, Marvel and the Kirby family wrote, quote... Marvel and the family of Jack Kirby have amicably resolved their legal disputes with a check with a whole bunch of zeros written on it Uh, and are looking forward to advancing their shared goal of honoring Mr. Kirby's significant role in Marvel history. While the timing of the settlement can't be a coincidence, we may never know the terms of the agreement. Joe, they wrote a check. You know they did. They wrote a check. A very big one. Yeah. And a it, very, very and big it one. it was probably the number that the Kirby family was waiting for, and bang. I mean... Because what are they going to do? They're going to take Captain America, and they're going to take Thor and start their own comics company? What are they going to do? No, of course, and, and... This is not to say that I don't think Jack Kirby got <laughs> f***ed. I think he did. It's hard for me to look at the surviving family saying we deserve money for something our dead relative did and didn't get, you know, right. like, it's,
1: and it would be, and they're I'd not have complex feelings about yeah, it. They're because not totally in the wrong. I'm not, I'm certainly not siding with the corporate giant that probably screwed many people out of, of many dollars. Of course. But yes, you're right. Uh, you know, the inventor of the post-it notes, grandchildren right. does not get to see royalty. I, it's a weird system. And I, and I know that it's very complicated and we don't understand it. It would be different if Kirby's wife was
0: still alive. Yeah, I suppose. You know, but... Well, and the other side of this is, back in the day, everybody was getting taken advantage of. That's just... the That was the nature of the business. It's neither good nor bad. That's just how it was. It's too bad that Kirby got taken advantage of, but he was still pretty famous and did a pretty good job. Maybe he deserved more money, sure, but, it's, like, there were so many other guys that got stepped on, too, that we just don't even talk about because they didn't happen to invent Captain America.
1: Right. And it's a weird situation. And, again, we'll never know all the details.
0: The good news is it's over. I'm happy. The long national nightmare is over. <laughs>
1: yes. Our friend Chase uh, said something when this news broke. Hopefully it will lead to kirby's name being credited more than it has been you know i feel like that's kind of already happened though you know at the end of a movie at the start of a credits where it's like based on characters created by jack kirby but everyone knows stan lee right, right. you know and that's what i'd like to see stanley's also still alive that helps i get it you I know get it. <laughs> so they can Again, stick him in I, movies this is a hard thing because yeah. we sound like jerks for saying that these people may not deserve the money but it's a hard situation I'm glad that it's over. I'm, I hope that, the, that both parties are satisfied. Right. Next story. <laughs> <laughs> How about that whole... D- case closed. ISIS situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Deadline, in case you missed it, the, the, the story was we're also reported by Deadline. <laughs> we kind of got off the rails there. Uh, DC's bizarre takeover of the TV airwaves continues. Deadline has reported that Fox has commissioned a television adaptation of, of all things... Lucifer.
0: I loved Lucifer.
1: The Sandman spin off by Mike Carey and primarily drawn by Peter Gross and Ryan Kelly. The network has made a put pilot commitment, which means that Fox has to air at least the first episode or face substantial monetary penalties. Thank you, Wikipedia. I thought
0: it was put pilot, like it was a golf <laughs> was reference. Putt, I wasn't that, sure. That has two T's, put pilot. It's, I guess that's true.
1: Here's the series description according to Deadline quote, Lucifer, bored and unhappy as the Lord of Hell, resigns his throne and abandons his kingdom for the gorgeous, shimmering insanity of Los Angeles, where he opens an exclusive piano bar called Lux. End quote. I guess adventure ensues. I don't know.
0: Oh, you never read any Lucifer? Look,
1: man, I'm a good Christian boy.
0: Oh, please.
1: If the description is accurate, Lucifer promises to be a fairly faithful representation of the source material. Californication creator Tom Capinos will write... An executive produce. My religious upbringing prevented me from reading <laughs> Lucifer. Do you think it's a good fit for sh- television? First of all, Lucifer
0: was pretty far...
1: I That's not why I didn't read I know, Lucifer. I
0: know. But <laughs> Lucifer on. was pretty far from, you know, like a Satan metal adaptation. I get uh, it. Like, he's, he's not even as evil... Like I read Sandman, I guess. Yeah, it. he's not even as evil as the son of Satan in Marvel, you sure, know? Like, right. he's just a good-looking dude, <laughs> basically. I loved Lucifer. Mike Carey just absolutely nailed that series. I own every issue of that series. It was wonderful. And it was sort of Lucifer walking amongst us, trying to figure out why he, like back in the day, you know, fell from heaven, being so angry at man, you know, because he was no longer, the angels were no longer God's chosen or whatever. And it's just him on earth living amongst us, trying to figure it out. What's wrong with humanity? Why does God love these assholes so much? It is a wonderful story. It It does sound like
1: a really good, you know, skeleton for a
0: serialized show. And they never really made Lucifer a good guy or a bad guy. He was a conflicted figure is what he was. And he did good things and he did bad things, much like humanity and sort of realizes his own humanity by being with us. I will tell you, I love Californication as well. It's a wonderful show. And Tom Kapinos, who wrote and, you know, executive produced that, is brilliant. And I think it's a perfect fit. And if Californication didn't exist, I would say grab the star, David Duchovny, and make him Lucifer. He'd what? be f-ing perfect.
1: Not Handsome enough, are you kidding no. me?
0: Matt Lucifer was beautiful, Dude. he was the morning star. You're telling me Duchovny's not a sexy freak? He's oh, get out of here! Think he's weird, sexy, he's gorgeous. He's I love it, like I ha- love it. Traditionally him. handsome, though. I think he's gonna be awesome. And if they're gonna do it right, then Lucifer has to be like beautiful, white haired, like young David Bowie, <laughs> yeah, somebody, sure. I mean, kind know? of
1: androgyny, yeah, sort of, yeah. Tilda Swinton he's beautiful. is Lucifer, <laughs> who <Ew. laughs> no, uh, nerd bet. There's no way in hell that show is actually called Lucifer, especially you know not on Fox.
0: You know what? I'll take it. Okay. I will take that bet. I'm adding the nerd bets right now. I think they call it Lucifer. I think they go straight with it. And people All go, right. oh, what? We have to watch to see what this is uh, set, about. Set the DVR, mother. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to protest this, we've got to watch, you know. Sure. It'll be interesting. I'll take it. All right. I'm super excited for this, though. Okay, good. Just uh, put like, a pin in it. I,
1: lo- I love Sandman. I just never I never read any of the Sandman spin Oh, it's a great read. I started to read The Dreaming. I, the, uh, they only put out two trades of it. I didn't love The dreaming. I just petered out.
0: Didn't love that. Lucifer so, was easily my favorite Sandman spin-off.
1: I'll have to check it out. They're coming out with those uh, deluxe softcover volumes.
0: Oh, wonderful. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where I will be laying out an idiot's guide to the tenets of Satanism for anyone interested in learning more about Lucifer and or the Church of Satan. Joe, I think you'll find this especially interesting.
1: (laughs) Joke's on you. I already know everything about Satan. (laughs) Whoa.
0: Every Sunday, my favorite fallen angel, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? Inspired by our final story, this
1: week's question is, what is the weirdest comic you can think of that would also make an awesome TV show? Get creative.
0: Okay. Okay. Get creative. Yeah, give us some actors. Give us some writers. There's some
1: weird-ass comics out there, man, but some of them are tailor-made for television.
0: Totally. Totally.
1: You have until midnight this coming Friday, October 3rd, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The Skype panel is Two Headed Nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat Hotline 402 819 4894. Keep it under three minutes, y'all. You'll get cut off. It's true. You can also send an MP3 to Two Headed Nerd at gmail.com. But again, keep it under three minutes. And if you need more time, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN
0: web forums. That's where questions live. That is where they live. It's review time on THN where Joe and I put on our work boots, grab our shovels and dig into the manure that is two of this week's new comics. Joey. That's weird. Shoveling comic shit. That's what we do here. (laughs) What'd you pick to review this week? This week, I'm reviewing Roche Limit number one from Image
1: Comics, written by Michael Morrissey, with art by Vic Malhatra and colors by
0: Jordan Boyd. The this, one guy with the last name we can pronounce.
1: Yeah. This is your standard 32 page comic for $3.50. The solicit for Roche Limit number one promised a 2001 slash Blade Runner esque sci fi noir story, and the issue delivers on that promise mostly. Set on a colony orbiting a bizarre energy anomaly, Roche Limit stars Sonia, a woman that spent her last time to get to the colony and find her missing sister. Or maybe it stars Alex Ford, the fast-talking, drug-dealing con man. <laughs> or it could be Gracie, the toughest-nails madam that doesn't take any prisoners when it comes to protecting her girls. This was my main issue with Roche Limit, number one. It throws so many disparate elements at you over the course of the issue that it's hard to get too invested in anything. It's ambitious. But for me, it tried to cover too much ground. I did love the art by Vic Malhotra. Uh, his style felt like the love child of Michael Lark and Michael Avon Oming. Totally. Which perfectly, agree. Which perfectly suits this future noir setting. Malhotra's art has a cartoony quality, but it's still rooted in realism just enough to keep the book gritty and grounded. The coloring by Jordan Boyd straddles the line between bright sci-fi and shadowy noir perfectly. The book is also well-designed in a very Jonathan Hickman kind of way, from the 50-50 graphic design versus line art cover to the vector map of the anomaly dropped in after the opening scene. Overall, I did really enjoy Roach Limit Number 1, but I needed a little bit more setup to get invested in the characters. As it stands after this first issue, I don't really care about any of these people any more than I did before I read it. But it's a cool premise, and the book is beautifully illustrated, I'm giving it a strong, strong skim it. I'm going to give it a chance to win me over.
0: I think I agree with you a lot. I, I felt like when I went into this, the first few pages really excited me.
1: Yeah, that's a great cold you, open, right? You know
0: what I mean? Like Really cool like premise of this billionaire building this colony on a dwarf planet that is... Uh, Circling the drain, that is orbiting yeah. like a black hole that doesn't behave like a black hole. Like right. the gravity isn't as strong. It's there's something really weird and interesting going on there, and we immediately steer away from that story. You know what I mean? It like right. the most right. It seemed like the most interesting part of the story is not what this story is about, and that kind of pissed me yeah, off. Yeah, you know
1: what? Actually, that is an excellent point. That you know what I mean? Ever occur to me?
0: That's that's that was the first thing that hit me. I was like, Well, wait a minute. What about that?
1: Just as easily (laughs) taken place on Earth.
0: Yeah. Anywhere. Time out. What about that? In any time (laughs) period. And maybe we're gonna get to that. I just agree. They threw out a whole bunch of other characters in a kind of typically noir sort of drug and crime and sex story that I I just I've read a million times and I don't so much care about. And there was too many of them for me to get invested in it. When
1: you already have this kick ass idea. Right. Show me that story. I, I'm waiting for the hook yeah. to actually apply to the plot.
0: Yes, and it didn't here, and, I, and I also
1: f- the 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 person that I think they're trying to make out to be the main character, the the sister, kind of an asshole. Yeah, and of course, like she is searching for her missing she's desperate, sibling. Sure, in like the worst place ever. Right, but and I don't want to see her just,
0: weepy and like oh my Yeah, dear. she's just really but, shitty. Yeah, they wrote her as just kind of a dick. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And I don't know, I I just, I think whenever we talk about sci-fi in comics, uh, the name Warren Ellis comes up, the name Jonathan Hickman comes up, and I think both of those guys do an excellent job of gracefully writing very large scope, mysterious sci-fi. And it's usually character driven. I mean, it has to be, it's a comic book, there's no, (laughs) we gotta follow somebody through the story. There just didn't feel like there was any grace to this, as far as I'm concerned. It just kind of mishmashed. You know what? I'm giving to leave it. Well, and I'm giving to leave it because I'm mad. I can't. I, <laughs> I can't give it a leave, a leave it because it's not that I didn't enjoy it.
1: It's, but it is that I didn't really enjoy it. And I, I tell you what, now that you've you've given me that epiphany about how the the actual premise of the book had nothing to do with the book. Yeah, I I am actually feeling a little bit worse about it. Uh, But I still enjoyed reading it. I thought it was beautifully done. And I think that they'll
0: get there. The art was good and it was put together well. It just, I'm just pissed. It's like, you're not telling me the story I want to read. (laughs) Show me what this billionaire did. (laughs) Like, you know, like, show me the story of building it, you know, or whatever. Those are fair points, man. I mean, I
1: can't, I can't deny it. But yeah, I was excited for it. It left me wanting a lot. Same here. So, but.
0: On the bright side, we got this Aliens comic to talk about. Hey! Aliens! Fire and Stone, number one. That's what I'm reviewing, baby. It's from Dark Horse, written by Chris Roberson, with art by Patrick, no K, just to see, Reynolds. So, I don't know. 32 pages, 350, standard Dark Horse fare here. Writing a comic book set in the Ridley Scott Alienverse has got to be difficult. First of all, the stars are nameless alien-killing machines that don't speak. Second, We're constantly introduced to new humans that typically get killed before we can get invested in their story. Here, we meet a group of miners led by terraforming engineer Derek Russell, who are desperately trying to flee a xenomorph attack on an otherwise inhabited moon. Artist Patrick Reynolds did his homework and captures the cold, dark feel of the Alien movies perfectly. His tech, his ships, even the clothes on the miners, even the clothes that the miners are wearing are perfectly faithful to the Alien films. His style is very realistic, reminiscent of Gabriel Hardman's work, and he does a great job expressing terror on the faces of the escaping miners. His work on the aliens is obviously modeled after the soldier aliens from James Cameron's alien film, and he does a perfect job using these thick black lines and shadows to make them look fast and deadly and completely menacing. Full disclosure here. H.R. Geiger, the creator of the Alien from the Ridley Scott film, created one of my favorite movie monsters with Alien. And I can't imagine the responsibility that an artist working on Alien title must feel to get it right. Reynolds absolutely nails it here, and he should be very proud of what he did. That said, Roberson's story of the miners fleeing a colony after the famous Xenomorph show up and start murdering extras seems to suffer from a lot of the familiar alien comic book woes. It's Hard to get attached to any of the characters, the story moves very fast and doesn't even explain where the aliens that are attacking the colony came from, and when the survivors finally do escape to a different planet, it's hard to care about any further mystery that doesn't involve the xenomorphs. The whole, this whole Aliens Prometheus relaunch seems a little ill-timed and thrown together to me. As far as I know... Dark Horse still had the rights to this property when Prometheus hit theaters a couple years ago and still owned it when it hit Blu-ray DVD not long after that. Why this now? And why such a simple storyline? Because they lost Star Wars. (laughs) I guess. I'm starting to wonder if we should group Aliens comics in with things like car chases that typically just don't translate to comic book form well. I give both creators all the credit in the world for doing their best here, but I can only give this a skimmick.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I loved the art. I loved the art. Beautiful. And uh, you said Gabriel Hardman, but my first thought was that it reminded me a lot of Jason Alexander.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: And so maybe like a mix between the two because it was a little less abstract than Jason Alexander. Yeah. There was one small hiccup where, okay, like spoilers. Whenever you think they're going to get on a ship and escape the aliens, the aliens made it onto the ship. Of course. Always. Um, So there's that scene with the captain guy or whoever. And he's the last one there to close the doors. Right. And he shuts the thing and then he freaks out because the aliens are on the other side of the door. Right. It was not clear that the aliens were on
0: the ship. No, I totally agree. (laughs) He was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And And then then it cuts away. And then it cuts away. And he's freaking out and he's like, oh no, oh my God. And they're like, settle down, you, we're going to this moon. And then all of a sudden he's like. Don't open that door. Right. So I mean, but of course, of course, the aliens
1: are on the ship. Yeah. that that wasn't the issue. Not much I, of
0: a story. Like, and they got away. But the end.
1: That that <laughs> element of the storytelling, uh, I think, was a little muddled. I'm with you. I think that every aliens comic ever has been desperately searching for somebody like
0: Ripley. Yeah, but not Ripley. But no, not Ripley. Like, no, it's got to be someone else.
1: The, and that is, the that is I think you absolutely hit the nail right on the head. I think that's the main problem with these books specifically, is that without a standout human character, it's just aliens killing right. nameless dudes. Right. I could not be bothered to remember the names of anybody in this book.
0: Yeah. Here's what you do. You have a character that ran through several of the Aliens films and even got referenced in Prometheus, in these androids, these bishop androids. Oh, yeah. you You deal with them in different situations, recording the xenomorph behavior and stuff and walking amongst the humans. Maybe they don't even know it's an a- an Android. Maybe he's the only one that knows about this and he knows why they're there and he knows what he's there to do and he's conflicted or whatever. Give me that story. Yeah. You know, take something like Bishop and put him in several different vignettes and situations where it would make sense that this character looks the same every time because he's a f-ing robot, you right. know, I mean, whatever that could be interesting. I, this is just not that interesting.
1: Sure. And I did I did like the tie-in to the Prometheus comic. By the
0: way, Dark Horse, I'm totally available to write that book. Let
1: me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll be just... Huge alien fan. I'm Done sure my the... homework. Just throwing it out there. I'm sure the phone is going to be ringing off the hook after <laughs> this review. I did like the kind of Prometheus comic uh, throwback where they land on that other moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wait a minute. This is supposed to be like a desert. Right. <laughs> you know, it had that same right. that same moment. Uh except that this comic takes place before the Prometheus one? It says so at the beginning. Uh why they did not put this out first, I do not know.
0: I don't either. If, if they just landed on the same moon that I mean, Prometheus it's, it's takes clearly place Clearly it's on. The,
1: it's the same planet from the Prometheus comic where right. they show up at, they showed up um last week or two weeks ago when we when we reviewed it, and the scientists were all like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a lifeless rock. Why yeah. is there a jungle? Yeah. It's the same place. And I like how they're tied together, and there's a story here somewhere. Probably, I, it's just it's not clear yet. And now I've read two comics from two different books, each that are going to be four issues each. Right. And I don't really feel like I have a reason to care about either one. Yeah, it's a skim. It
0: is beautifully drawn. Yeah, again, beautifully drawn. beautifully drawn. No problem with the art. Piece. So that is a skim it and a leave it for Roach Limit and a double skim it for Aliens, Fire, and Stone. We, we have no feelings for these books. <laughs> we are mad! And of course, we want to know what you xenomorphs and drug dealing space station guys... What the, whatever <laughs> he's supposed to be. ...thought of these comics. So give us the straight dope over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com.
1: I would have also accepted one-eyed lady pimps oh yeah All right. that, that's it we're moving on it's been a bad couple of weeks for nfl commissioner roger goodell and things look to get worse as the public outcry for him to step down gets louder every day but in recent interviews he seems more confident than ever and with the powers of his linebacker size ego and perfect hair he's not going anywhere
0: Until such time as the sponsors tell him he
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) Only one man can save the NFL and bring back its good name. Only Super Pro can save us now. So join Matt, myself, and Phil Grayfield as we chase down Goodell and his legion of wife-beating child abusers, all while we review ten more of this week's comics. During the ludicrous Speed Round, I did not
0: understand any of these references. Phil Grayfield is going to be the new commissioner of the NFL. New Avengers, number 24.
1: From Marvel. From Marvel. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Skeety. Shitty. Jump eight months into the future. Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Skeety. I think it's shitty. Yeah. Jump eight <laughs> months into the future of Namor's Cabal in this chapter of Time Runs Out. Turns out the only thing cooler than the revelation of the Cabal last issue is finding out what happened afterwards. Oh. Chilling, compelling, beautiful, and featuring a final, and featuring a killer final page. I can't wait to see what happens next. Buy it!
0: Dude spells his name S-C-H-I-T-T-I. Shitty. It's right there. S-C-H. It's right there. (laughs) Future Proof number one from Bliss on Tap. This is the story of two time-traveling agents from the future working for an AI that acts as humanity's steward while constantly sending people back in time to take care of problems in the continuum that could wipe them both out. So wrap your head around that. Writer Brian Phillipson never gets lost in his huge concept and does a fantastic job developing the two agents, James and Simon, as they make sure that JFK gets gets assassinated, amongst other assignments. Great art by Alex Cormack and reminded me a lot of the Venture Brothers animation. This is big concept sci-fi executed very well by it. Secret
1: Avengers number eight from Marvel. This book seems to have just as many detractors as it does fans. I don't get it. But I love it. In this issue, Maria Hill starts to put the pieces together and the mastermind behind it all, maybe, starts to see his enemy in a uh, different light, let's say. Okay. This isn't for people looking for serious Avengers action, but if you like fun, spy adventure with a sense of humor, you can't go wrong here. Andrea Shock, I thought you had my back but she betrayed me this really? week. Really? Yes. Huh. Huge buy it. I loved it. Edge of Spider-Verse number three from Marvel.
0: Yes, we are aware we have reviewed every issue of Edge of Spider-Verse, but they've been worth talking about. But the last one got deleted, so it doesn't count. That's true. <laughs> Justin Weaver reappears to write and draw this adventure of Aaron Aikman, Spider-Man. Only Weaver's Spidey's more of an Iron Man. Aikman, a brilliant molecular bioengineer and that does something, science I guess. wears a spider armor and is hot on the tail of Namura, an evil cyborg that kidnaps victims while they sleep. Weaver's art is amazing, as usual, but he seems to be injecting some Romita into his style here to give it sort of that spidey house feel, and it looked really good. It does look good. As a writer, Weaver seems to be pretty solid. He gets a little preachy with his main character here and there, but this is a really good first writing effort. I'm giving it a buy it. All right. Booster Gold, Future Zen, number one from DC.
1: Booster Gold finally returns for the first time in two years as he pinballs the DC multiverse. It's hard to recommend this as a single-issue experience. It's kind of disjointed with some iffy art, but I cannot deny that the events of this book and the next one I'll talk about have captured my complete attention. Huh. Giving it a it. All right. G.I. Joe number one from IDW,
0: didn't we just do this? This is the 30th time I think IDW has (laughs) relaunched G.I. Joe. This time, military writer and former defense journalist Karen Travis becomes the first female writer on a G.I. Joe series. And her real-world political and military background is instantly apparent. The Joes have traded in their laser guns for suits and are battling an enemy even more terrifying than Cobra. They're fighting Congress for funding instead of freedom, after Cobra has appeared to legitimize itself on the world stage. Which is a little silly. I don't buy it. <laughs> if you think about their previous harebrained like, um, schemes.
1: Al-Qaeda is really sorry, yeah. and they're going to go into humanitarian so like, work. like, okay,
0: yeah, the weather dominator thing was rude. Okay, <laughs> but we're past that, you know? <laughs> Great art by Stephen Curry. The Joes have never been this realistic and real-world interesting. Oh, and I should mention, Scarlet is in charge, and I really like it. I'm giving it to buy it.
1: You know, I shouldn't have read it late at night because I thought it was really boring.
0: Well, there was not one panel of action, but it was was so so well-written that it kept me moving. I liked Uh, it. Yeah, I need to reread it, and it was beautiful. It was. Superman, doomed, number two from DC. Okay. Look.
1: I, I didn't read Superman Doomed beyond the opening chapter, but the recap does a great job catching you up on the story. It did not, however, prepare me for how bonkers the ancillary Superman titles have gotten, but I thought this was a wild ride. Visually, though, the issue is a hot mess. There are five or six different artists cycling in and out, seemingly at random, oh, from page to page, making it distracting and inconsistent. At least the art changes in the Booster Gold issue made sense. But ultimately, it's all about that last page, man. I don't know what DC is trying to do to me. I am on a roller coaster of emotion.
0: Are you happy now?
1: DC, are you happy? <laughs> I'm paying attention. <laughs> Skim it.
0: A Town Called Dragon, number one from Legendary. Why is Judd Winnick not writing comics on a regular basis? I miss that guy. I feel like every time I pick up a comic written by Winnick, I enjoy it, and this was no exception. I'll be honest, this comic is a bit of a mess. There's a lot going on here. Vikings killing the last dragon on the earth and then taking the last dragon egg on earth to Colorado via Leif Erickson and a group of Viking explorers. That's history. Fast forward to today, and Dragon Colorado is a tourist trap Featuring every dragon-themed business that could be opened, we get hit with a ton of characters here and a huge story. But Winnick makes every one of them human, believable, and even funny. Stunning art here by Jeff Shaw, a name I don't recognize, but this guy is great. This comic was amazing, and I'm giving it a buy it. I haven't read it yet. It was fantastic. I've been really dragon this week. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> Nailed right. it. Butterfly number one from Boom. <laughs>
1: screenwriter Arash ML teams with comics creators Marguerite Bennett and Antonio Fuso for this espionage tale about a deep cover spy whose cover is blown when she's framed for murder. There's a fairly obvious twist, but it comes at the halfway point, and then the story starts to rewind and shift perspective. It was really well done, and more artwork from Antonio Fuso Joe Cobra.
0: Yeah, so if you, I was gonna say, if you've got a double deep cover or a yeah. double agent story, Fuso's your guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, always welcome. Buy it. It was awesome. What? Tales of Mr. Re colon Carmageddon from Devil's Due.
0: Okay, I didn't pick up on the whole Mr. Ree thing <laughs> for some reason until like page six, and when it finally hit me, when one of the characters in the book points it out, it's like, oh god, that's dumb. Mr. Ree is a black magician! In the Afro-American sense, not like Black Magic. <laughs> no, <laughs> he is—he is, uh, is to Black Magic as King's X is to Black Metal. <laughs> <All> right, <gotcha. laughs> there are Black people playing metal. He fights demons and devils after the Rapture, working for a group called Promise, which stands for. Permanent reduction of monsters in society everywhere. Wah, wah. We'll add that one to the list of dumb acronyms. <laughs> this is the second volume of Mr. Ree, and first time readers like myself might be a little flung into the story. Here we see him getting into bed with some woman in lingerie. I guess it's still important to still feel sexy after the rapture. And then the story abruptly jumps to Mr. Ree rescuing some very religious siblings after their parents were violently murdered by demons. It's then we learn, through flashback, that Mr. Ree was molested as a child by his magic teacher. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, I'm not making this up. This was a complete mess, and the cartoonish art of Seth Damus, while good, seemed out of place for this story. It was really violent, and I feel like Michael Avon Oming is the only person who can really nail cartoon violence. I'm giving this a really low skim Borderline leave it. Uh-huh.
1: That is your Ludicrous Speed Round, and splat is the sound of a bullet hitting JFK in the brain, as seen in this week's issue of Future Proof Number 1. I'm sorry, Mrs. Onassis Kennedy.
0: She's dead, too. I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes it okay? Yeah, sure. (laughs) We speak ill of the dead all the time. As you may have heard, last Friday was Talk Like a Pirate Day, the day when overzealous nerds, radio DJs, and Joe Patrick's father force our jokes into conversation ad nauseum. well for some it hits a little deeper rather than taking part in the stereotyping of pirates everywhere we've invited some of our favorite comic book pirates to the thn sanctum sanctorum where we're hosting a telethon to raise pirate awareness you see not all pirates run around shouting shiver me timbers and calling people scurvy land lovers some do and that's okay pirates are people just like you and me People who steal cargo from sea vessels and spaceships, sure. But first and foremost, they're people. Joe and I ask that you call any one of our pirate volunteers, like Corsair, John Valley, Blackbeard, Terry of Terry and the Pirates, and Ben Grimm, dressed as Blackbeard, and pledge as little as a dollar to raise pirate awareness and end this ridiculous and offensive holiday. Joey, the phones are ringing off the hook. While donations are coming in, why don't we take some time to talk about what we're excited to read next week. Was Terry from Terry and the Pirates a pirate? I don't think Terry was technically a pirate. In fact, (laughs) I think he was kidnapped and they liked him. (laughs) He hung out.
1: (laughs) Like Jim from uh, Treasure Island or whatever.
0: Sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like we're not going. We might kill you later, or go to bed, Jim. I might kill you tomorrow. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or no, I'm confusing him with the Dread Pirate Roberts.
1: <laughs> from, Either way. Yeah, Either the Dread way.
0: Pirate Roberts. Oh,
1: damn. That Good night, a Wesley. Right
0: I might kill you tomorrow. How
1: did we not get the Dread Pirate Roberts? Yeah, in we there? just threw him in there. There you go. <laughs> My pick for next week, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Between mine and Matt's, it was neck and neck. I was not sure which one I was gonna. I pick. was the same way. It's Thor, number one, from Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Russell Douderman. Here's your solicit. The Great Hammer, Mjolnir lies on the moon. I think it's my Jolinar. <laughs> unable it's to a be heavy lifted. It's <laughs> <you know? laughs> Unable to be lifted by anyone in all the heavens, even Thor. Something dark has befallen the god of thunder, leaving him weakened and for the first time in forever. Unworthy! But when frost giants invade the Earth, the hammer will be lifted and an all-new Thor will arise. A Thor unlike any we've ever seen before. Who is this new goddess of thunder? Not even Odin knows. I have one question. How did whoever picks up the hammer of Thor Get to the moon.
0: I don't know. (laughs) We will find out. That is the main reason why I'm excited for (laughs) Thor number one. I still want to know why he's unworthy. We just saw Nick Fury whisper something in his ear and he farted him unworthy. I I was really (laughs) hoping the last issue of Thor God of Thunder would explain it, but it didn't.
1: Nothing. Still, look, I am into this. I'm into it. I'm into...
0: It's a roller, comics are a roller coaster ride, man. Yeah, and, and look, everybody settle down. Settle down. I know there's a bunch of you still pissed that this is happening. You know you're going to pick this up because you've got to see what happens. Not like you're just going to quit and it's going to be fun. It's going to be well written. And, and, and it, newsflash, guys, Thor will be Thor again. Okay? It's also not like they're going to
1: ignore the real
0: Thor while this right, is going on. exactly.
1: I think this is going to be a fun ride. I love Russell, Russell Doddman. I'm glad Jason Aaron's sticking around. Excited.
0: Let me pose a question for you guys that are pissed off. Would you rather they killed him again? I mean, really? Mm. Honestly, aren't we all tired of this? Isn't this a way more creative way to do this? I think it's very,
1: the idea that Thor is suddenly unworthy is very compelling It's awesome.
0: It's awesome. Yes. So much better than just killing another hero. Matt Baum, what is your pick? My pick for next week is Gotham Academy from DC. I can't believe I am picking a DC book. This is written by Brendan Fletcher and Becky Clunan with art by Carl Kerschel. I love Carl Kerschel. Where's that guy been? Here's your solicit. Welcome to Gotham Academy! Gotham City's most prestigious prep school. That came out weird. I loved it, though. That was awesome. Gotham City's most prestigious prep school is is a very weird place. It's got a spooky campus, oddball teachers, and rich benefactors always dropping by, like that weirdo Bruce Wayne, which kind of makes him sound like a pedophile when they say that. But nothing is as strange as the students. Like, what's up with Olive Silverlock? Is she crazy or what? Where did she go last summer? And what's the deal with her creepy mom? And how come that freshman M-A-P-S is always following her around? Maps. What is that? Maps? Is her name? Maps. Oh. It's all in caps. Maps! So I thought maybe it was... (laughs) Like an acronym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And is she still going out with Kyle? PS. Did you hear the rumor about the ghost in North Hall? Oh shit, it's Hogwarts. Gotham Academy is a new monthly teen drama set in the shadow of Batman and the craziness of Gotham City with new characters and old plus a secret tie to Gotham's past. I totally hope that Jonah Hex is like their one eyed Willie.
1: The nearly headless Nick <laughs> yeah, yeah. of Gotham Academy. Yeah, I want yeah. like the ghost of Jonah Hex totally, just to be haunting. Totally.
0: That place. You know, like they find Jonah Hex's skeleton with a map or something. I've been pumped for this. I one. have railed about the Batmanification of the DC New 52 for a while. And yes, we are getting lots of Batman stuff, but this just sounds like fun. It looks really good. The preview art is fantastic. This is unlike any other book that's going on in the New 52. It sounds like it's going to actually be a good time. And I'm excited for it. Agreed. Joe Patrick, the children were robbed of your rapping abilities last week, so I demand that you rap the solicitation to the hip-hop family tree over Dougie Fresh's original human beatbox. Go!
1: To celebrate the resounding success of the first two volumes of it, Piskert's history of hip-hop. Graphics is offering the first two books along with an exclusive 24-page comic book specifically created for this box set inside a mind-blowingly colorful slipcase drawn and designed by the artists, period. <laughs> Pisker tells this story as a perfect parody, pastiche, homage to 90s image comic books, y'all. That was
0: horrible.
1: I'm really sorry. He made me do that, and I was not ready.
0: You want Joe Patrick off the cuff? That's what you get. It's not pretty. It was bad.
1: It's not pretty. And those were not our lyrics.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. That was the actual solicitation. That was not written with the beat in mind. Regardless, this looks totally awesome. We've been on record as being huge fans of the hip-hop family tree.
1: This exclusive comic is like some crazy Rob
0: Liefeld yeah. mirror image cable It looks nuts. X-Force thing. It looks totally nuts. I can't wait to see it. Guys, we can't thank you enough for your donations during these difficult times for pirates everywhere. And if you haven't called yet, please fight the urge to wear an patch and force an R into a sentence. And instead, call us. Help out a pirate and let us know what you're reading next week over at the PHN forums. Feel free to make fun of Joe Patrick for that terrible rap.
1: You know what? Ironically, if this were an actual telethon, and they did put a rap on there, that's probably about as good as it would be. It
0: could be. It could be true. (laughs) Sally Struthers be dropping beats or what? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Once a month, Matt and I sit down in our giant leather reading chairs near the ziggurats' oversized fireplace, grab a brandy and our favorite comically large pipes, and take in an entire graphic novel. Then we let you know if it's any good! here
0: on a little segment we like to call Take a Look. It's in a book. This month, we are reading Jean Luen Yang's The Shadow Hero. Luen Yang, who won the Michael L. Prince Award for his American-born Chinese graphic novel, along with illustrator Sonny Liu, tell the story of Hank Chu, a mild-mannered Chinese-American teenager growing up in a fictional 1930s Chinatown. Hank wants nothing more than to work in his family's grocery store, But his mother has a more ambitious plan. She wants him to embody the excitement of their new country. She wants him to become a superhero. Joe Patrick, what do you think of the shadow hero?
1: You know what? We should say that this book was recommended to us by Andrea Shockling's son, Avi. It's true. So we took the challenge.
0: We hated it. The end.
1: Yeah, sorry, Abby. <laughs> sorry, Abby. This book sucked.
0: <laughs> uh, I loved it. I loved it.
1: Uh, I've been a fan of this artist, Sonny Liu, uh, for a long time. He drew, uh, he drew a miniseries, or he helped work on a miniseries for Vertigo called My Faith in Frankie.
0: Okay, well, which was this kind that.
1: of weird fantasy thing about gods uh, coming to Earth. Uh, and then he also put out a graphic novel called Malinky Robot. And if you've ever seen that, oh book, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, but it's like painted. Uh, it's so gorgeous. So art wise, I thought it was stunning.
0: Yeah, they really do a nice job fleshing out 1930s Chinatown. I thought
1: it, it really captured the period. Definitely. And it, it's a, it's the characters are exaggerated, like their features. You know, so a uh, guy has a big chin, and it's comically large, kind of Jay Leno style.
0: You know, they even go as far like they did some things in this book that aren't typically done anymore in modern comics that could be deemed as racist, like the way that Asian people used to be drawn in old Captain America books and stuff where they were, like, yellow-skinned and they had very exaggerated Asian features. Some of that is definitely here, giving this a very Golden Age feel, but it never comes off as racist, per yeah, se. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't they necessarily are, agree. They are exaggerated. Well, some of the characters are definitely exaggerated asian character but you know they don't
1: have (laughs) ridiculously slanted eyes or you know they're not running around stroking their inscrutable beards or anything one of them is (laughs) (laughs) actually not not really (laughs) yeah one of them totally
0: is
1: (laughs) art wise i loved it i think it really captured the feel uh it's cartoonish uh, in a very appealing way. Uh, in a like way you that said, definitely ex-
0: suits the story. The
1: exaggerated characteristics, uh, almost caricature-esque.
0: Yeah, very much so.
1: The story, turns out, is based on an actual Golden Age character that I have never heard of. Yeah. Called the Green Turtle.
0: The first Asian superhero. Sort of. Yeah, kind of. Green Turtle was a character out of a comic book called Blazing Comics from 1944. He was created by Chu F. Hing. As the first Asian American superhero, here's the catch: they didn't necessarily. The printers didn't necessarily yeah, like the, the idea. The publisher said of an Asian American the, superhero. The
1: publisher <laughs> said, "Make him white." Yeah. So Hing, in an act of, I, we'll never know. This is all. This is all uh, apocrypha, but. In in a supposed act of defiance, Hing refused to ever show...
0: Well, he obscured his face.
1: Yeah, he's either got his cape in front of him or he's in the shadows or whatever. Smoke or whatever. Uh, Or you're seeing him from the back. Gene Luen Yang speculates in the back matter here. That was his way of saying, you know what, this is an Asian American character. Yeah. those, Those... Publishers can suck it. it.
0: His act of defiance, him saying you're like, I secretly know he's Asian. There, right? (laughs) You know.
1: And so he fought. You know, he fought the Japanese and and Nazis and things like that. It lasted like five issues. Yeah, not very long at all. Yeah, and that's probably why no one's ever heard of him.
0: He uh, flew a turtle plane.
1: He flew a turtle plane. (laughs) Well, like every character, he is a probably he had like a a a a gamma that he rode around in. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it was fascinating to me to learn more about the history of that character. I thought that this was a completely original
0: thing. And this is not necessarily a retelling or an update of that story. We should add, this is more of an homage to that. They,
1: they took, they took the bare bones of that character who was really never around long enough to actually be fleshed out and created a backstory for him and a history and an explanation for why there's a turtle shadow following him around everywhere. Right.
0: And you know why he looks the way he does and the way they did it was really creative, and it's truly a Chinese story. These are off-the-boat Chinese, like, 1930s. They're immigrants, yeah. Yeah, immigrants, and so mom speaks very broken English. She works for a wealthy family, and she gets out of the simple Chinese grocery store that they have set up, because a lot of these immigrants came from China, with a very simple living, where they were farmers, they were grocers, and that's just what you did. When your father died, you took over the job. And life moves on. We all work together to make things better, right? Mm-hmm. And America's not necessarily like that. America's fast paced. America's moving and grooving, and white people are all over the place, and there's superheroes. There's this guy, the anchor of justice, and he's sort of a Superman type character. And mom has an encounter with him one day, and it's just like, blows her mind. You know, like this is what America is all about Flash and heroes and villains. And she decides that she wants more for her son. And so in a very truly Chinese superhero story, mom forces, (laughs) you know, her son to become a superhero and he doesn't even want it. (laughs) He's like, no, I, I want to sell, you know, like garbage here in the grocery store and work for my father, you know, work for my father, who my mom doesn't even really love because it was an arranged marriage because they're Chinese, you know, and it violates every part of his old Chinese upbringing. Basically, to stand out, to stand up, to voice your opinion. Like, you're you are supposed to do your job and right. live your life. Right. And this is the... She wants the exact opposite of that and literally forces him into becoming the Green Turtle. Right, she calls him the Jade Tortoise or something like that. Or, the Golden Man of Bravery oh, yeah, is golden, what she calls him. Yeah, first. <laughs> she designs this terrible costume and, like, here's these stories of these other heroes getting, like, bitten by radioactive animals or... Submerged yeah, so in waste. Constantly you know?
1: trying to poison him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so she dries all this stuff and it doesn't work out. It even goes as far as like turn his skin pink and glowing. Right. <laughs> the, the one side effect
1: of his exposure to, yeah. to toxic waste is that every time he gets wet, his skin turns.
0: Like bright glowing pink.
1: Not, not even like in a, in a Caucasian way, like no. in an outrageous coloring book kind of way.
0: Yeah. And then finally she settles on, like she hears about another character. It's like a very Batman type character. Who's just a badass? It, it, it is
1: Batman. Like she they yeah. learn about Batman and and but they never actually say it. And she uh, decides
0: to hook her son up with her uncle One Two. It's <laughs> just like I
1: didn't even think of that.
0: Old Chinese name with hilarious ramifications here, you know, in the United States. And one two is a bit of a scoundrel who used to love who was in love with mom before she was forced into her arranged marriage. And He's also uh, kind of a Kung Fu badass. I mean, he looks kind of like George Sanford. (laughs) He's got this ridiculous sort of bowl cut, you know, hair and a bald spot on top, but he's kind of a Kung Fu badass. And he basically beats the main character into becoming a tough guy. And then at that point, mom forces him to put on a costume and go out and fight crime. (laughs) And he sort of reluctantly falls into this role, not necessarily because he wants to please his mother, but he sees how Chinatown is, is being run by these Chinese gangsters who are also kind of mimicking American crime. They've looked and said, well, we want to organize like the Italian mob, you know, and we're going to rule our little part of, you know, China here in America Chinatown. And they're working with the police and they're working with the mayor and it all runs very deep. And when he sees this corruption and his father is killed by this, you know, corruption in action, he has no choice. He refuses to be the dumb hero his mom wanted him to be. Right. And he develops kind of a ridiculous superpower.
1: Right. And because of poor wishing. Yeah. Because <laughs> which of I Poor loved. wording. Yeah. Uh, and so he does become like a legitimate superhero with fighting skills and mild superpowers. And he takes on the Chinese underworld. I-, I loved the element of the story where the gangsters actually put on a show for the Americans. Yeah. Like it's every bit as racist and, and ridiculous.
0: Yeah. As, as the Americans old comics think it is yeah and even as the old comics depicted yeah. you know Chinese like culture. to the point
1: that they have a fu Manchu style like figurehead yeah that that play acts in front of you know the corrupt police chief or whatever yeah but the real mastermind is this you know kind of unknowable unseen terrifying yeah. <laughs> guy I, I really liked that idea uh, that they were hiding in plain sight and, and that they made it acceptable. You know, they made their culture acceptable to the Americans just to get what they needed Yeah, from literally
0: them. by hamming it up.
1: Yeah. I just, I
0: really liked this book. I, I thought it was very, very, very well done. There was just something that was innocent and really well done about this. And it wasn't like your typical American not naive, superhero. Not naive. Not naive innocence. No, no, not at all. Just sort of the same superhero story that you've read a thousand times, but through the eyes of an Asian American immigrant. And... Right. It played out wonderfully. It, it, it's. It, it, there was a bunch of unexpected twists. There was a bunch of plays on like old 1940s and 50s golden age tropes that are instantly recognizable. Like there's a Dick Tracy character that's obviously Dick Tracy. Right. <laughs> He's in a yellow raincoat. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, it's told through the lens of a foreign culture, but not in a way that is unrelatable. Not at I still found it very relatable. There's a a thing that happens on the last page between the green turtle and the anchor that, like, just made me melt. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not going to obviously not going to spoil it. But like that moment where you realize that Hank has actually become a hero and isn't just pretending to be a hero. Right to to get the people that killed his dad right. or to protect his grocery or store. Or just trying
0: to be an American hero right. or whatever.
1: Like he is, I was like, oh, he's actually, he did it. He is a superhero. Right. I am excited to read more by this author. I love Sonny Liu. I hope to see more work by him Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. But for me, this being my first exposure to Gene Yang, I'm excited to read anything that that dude puts I out. I definitely
0: want to read more of his stuff too.
1: Yeah, this is a huge buy it for me.
0: I will share my stack of Jean Yang books with you. Oh, that's you. so nice of you. Thank you. If such you, a baby. If you guys have a graphic novel you'd like to suggest to us, for us to read, like Avi did, you can hit us up on the forums. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can send us an email. There's a million different ways to suggest one you want us to read next month on Take a Look. It's in a book. What are we reading, Joe Patrick? I
1: think we decided on Leaving Megalopolis. Michael Bubba's <laughs> leaving Papadopoulos. <laughs>
0: leaving Papadopoulos
1: by Gail Simone and Jim Calafiore. That is true. We got a copy.
0: I got a copy. That the successful Kickstarter just ended recently, and their copies went out.
1: Well, uh, this uh, that was a, a while ago. The book came out for Kickstarter people a while ago. It was just released by Dark Horse. Oh, that's right. To the mass market. Okay. So uh, it's it's out now. If you didn't get a copy through Kickstarter, you can go out and buy it. I did because I missed the boat on the Kickstarter. There you go, Randy Andrews said you got to read it. So I'm taking in his advice. I'm going to force Matt to read it and we're going to
0: review it next <laughs> force month. Of course. I'm excited to sort, it. sort of break it, it, break it, break it, break it down like down, this. Down, and that is it for the Phantom episode 179 of THN. If you can't get enough of these two American boys, butchering the pronunciation of foreigners names, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews and your thumbs up. Or your little hearts which is what you do on tune in and say you love us because it helps us connect with other potential listeners
1: thank you to all of our donors you keep us in cutoff t-shirts and chrome sexy lady bud flaps and if you want to help fuel the thn generally you can do so by clicking our good old paypal button at And if you want to become a sustaining member it's as easy as clicking the make this donation monthly box and as little as a dollar a month really does help if you're interested in sponsoring this embarrassment of a podcast, we can't settle on a the theme. It's obvious. We don't know if we're doing a Dukes of Hazard riff or if we're doing a pirate riff. Who knows?
0: I was ripping on the Dukes of Hazard because we butchered so many names in this.
1: If one. you'd like to, if you'd like to hitch your wagon to this rising star, send us an email with the subject line sponsorship.
0: While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline four zero two. is the only phone number you need to remember. Using this woodsy list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can defend your questionable nerd, Taysom, from the two-headed judge for our defender segment. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, made out of bullet holes, fired into a wrought iron shed, or whatever. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Pull that one off, DuPont. (laughs) Go get your gun. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums, guys. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post videos of you pulling donuts in a parking lot, or just rap about comics. Remember to
1: follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. Coming next... We're recording it right now. But if you need more THN in your life, get over to twoititnerd.com and, and check out a fresh Saturday morning cartoons by Tony Mathers. This one's all about James Bond Jr.
0: What? I yeah. I'm not even aware yeah. of this. Oh, by the way, the Prince Valiant one that he did... Not the old Prince Valiant cartoon I was thinking of. It was some crap from the 90s. Well, yeah, but it's based
1: on the Prince Valiant. Oh no, show.
0: I know, but it was not the cartoon that I was thinking okay. of. Okay.
1: <laughs> the content from our missing episode will be posted there in written yes, form.
0: Yes. I apologize, guys. As you may have heard, we had a little technical glitch last week.
1: And of course. Good
0: news. No sponsor last week, so.
1: Yeah, we don't owe anybody any money. And of course. Those he ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers.
0: Man, he jumped all over Secret Avengers. Didn't he? he didn't. <laughs> he didn't though. He didn't. No. Oh, He made it sound like he did.
1: Yeah, he hates that book. He does hate it. Oh, but okay. he, I just was making a joke.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: It was making a joke that really only three people understand. So all right. That's enough. how I usually. That's roll.
0: how we reach out, man. Yeah. <laughs> Attracting new listeners, one inside joke at a time. Next week. We're hauling one listener in front of the two-headed judge to defend the second installment of Sony's new Spidey films, The Amazing Spider-Man. You know what that means? That means I've got to watch it. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Cameron Brillo himself, Carl Smith, who just launched the Kickstarter for his horror comics anthology, The Horror of Loon Lake. After just a few days, the project is over halfway to its goal. So everybody... Find the book on Kickstarter and give till it hurts, people. Word to you, Camarillo. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is Duet a Nerd. Anyway.